Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Outkick 360 is back. Glad you're with us as we broadcast live from the 6th and Peabody Studios in downtown Nashville with Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine. Alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton, Dylan Taylor, Jacob Swanson making the show happen for us. David Reed, the chairman of the board, Sleepy Danny here as well. Big show today. Coming up in 15 minutes, Bobby Carpenter, uh, Outkick college football contributor. He'll be with us as we uh, break down the upcoming week for college football and all the kickoffs across the country. We'll talk a lot of Georgia and Clemson uh, and Tennessee opening up things on Thursday night. Armando Salguero, also of Outkick, the senior NFL writer and columnist, will be with us at 315 Central. And then we have the Tennessee Power Hour at 5 o'clock Eastern time. Looking forward to all of it. Big headlines, including Cam Newton released by the New England Patriots today. Mac Jones is the rookie starter from week one for Bill Belichick and a lot of news across the league as the NFL roster deadline where all teams must be uh, reduced to 53. They have to have their 53-man roster announced uh, by 3 o'clock Central, 4 o'clock Eastern. Uh, we have all that for you straight ahead. Gentlemen, good afternoon. Shout out to Dylan Taylor, our production assistant today, who is filling in for Lance Lee and producing the show. Uh, did a great job last time with that, so uh, glad to have him on board. Lance Lee was not cut today. A lot of no. cuts going on across the NFL. Guys, I'm just thrilled that I wasn't cut uh, from this show and that I'm allowed to be here we're with all you back. guys today. We're all back. None of us were cut. Our roster's fine. We're ready to go. Cam Newton, on the other hand, can't say the same as of today. He cannot. He's, uh, you know, everybody assumes that he finds a place. I think he's a backup caliber quarterback in the league, but that is a very, very decisive move. Um, because when a rookie quarterback inevitably hits his struggles, everybody's looking for the veteran backup. And in New England, you're not going to be looking to the veteran backup because the veteran backup's been put on the street. So, well, the veteran backup is now Brian Hoyer. Yes, well, as, and, and he's not the same kind of veteran backup. Brian Hoyer, everybody knows what Brian Hoyer is. Um, he, he's not the solution to your season, right? He's a guy that comes in if somebody's hurt or can spot start, but he's not going to fix your season or save you the way some people would think that Cam Newton can. And Bill Belichick decided he didn't want that kind of tone around the team. He wants Mac Jones. More power to him than he wants Mac Jones. Now we see where Cam Newton lands. But I think it was earlier this morning he was talking up Cam Newton. Or the last time he spoke to the media, he was talking up Cam Newton. Well, let's go back to last week's discussion of Cam Newton with the COVID protocols and the misunderstanding that took place both, both with the team and with Newton, um, where he was getting tested daily as an unvaccinated player. He just wasn't tested daily by the team uh, this certain instance, so he had to sit out five days. And what that did is it gave three practices to Mac Jones, where he took every snap. And he probably, on estimate, uh, just estimated, he, in those three days, and, and a couple of them included a joint practice with the New York Giants, I would estimate he threw about 500 passes, five to 600 passes, as the rookie quarterback running the first team offense. And reading the coverage last week, listening to coverage this morning with this with this decision uh, it sounds as though that mac jones there was a a, a changeover of the guard uh it, that last week where he ran the team he ran the offense and mac jones can run the patriots offense whereas cam newton is running a version of the patriots offense both can work but mac jones took over and was the leader last week and that's all she wrote in this i also have not heard this I, I, cannot, uh, I can't overlook the fact that Cam Newton is unvaccinated. And 
the, the idea from this instance, I, I'm, I'm, I, it doesn't bother me one bit that he's unvaccinated um, at his age and his health. Let me, let me clarify that. But for, for Cam Newton, the backup quarterback, not the starter, the backup, he could be contact traced immediately for a minimum, just like Carson Wentz is contact traced right now in Indianapolis as an unvaccinated quarterback. Um, you're immediately sat down, you're not allowed in the facility, you immediately go virtual, and as a backup quarterback, as a team, I would need you available. You're unavailable. At the ready. Cam Newton wouldn't be guaranteed to be available at the ready as the backup quarterback for the New England Patriots, therefore, he's out. They'll never say that that was an issue and that was the reason why they chose to let him go. It's hard for me to overlook that detail when it is a huge advantage to have certain players vaccinated based on protocol, especially at the positions where you desperately need them. And that is one advantage for the vaccinated players where if you come in close contact with someone that has COVID-19, you do not have to quarantine. You are right back out at practice. That's a really good point. And I think it plays into the bigger thing about Cam Newton, not the best decision maker. He's not the best decision maker with the football. He's not the best decision maker there with the vaccine, taking into consideration what you're talking about. And I think you hit on something else really smart there, Hutton. This idea that he's not really running their offense. So Bill Belichick in the first year Some post of it, Brady. Not, it's, not, right. it's not dumbed down. No. It's just not the same offense. Yeah, his, he, he's, his strengths don't play to what right. Belichick wants to do. And so now that he has an alternative who does play to what Bill Belichick wants to do. Look, he did what he had to do last year and he played to the strengths of a guy who's not. You know, he went the direction that his player led him. But now he's got an alternative who's mm. young, strong, and, and they drafted because he, they, the two things fit, right? Mac Jones and Patriots offense fit. So he feels Mac Jones is ready to do those things. Well, if he's ready to do them and he fits what we want to do and, and everything's ready, let's go do that. And then in the backup... We don't want an unvaccinated guy who puts us at risk for all of these things to be unavailable and doesn't do our stuff as well as we want it done. Hoyer's a stopgap guy who does, and let's move on. And I think they're, Chad, they, they're willing to put up with, and, and it is having to put up with the protocols of unvaccinated players if you're the starting quarterback of the New England Patriots or any team. And that's what they were doing with Cam Newton. And by all accounts, even, even the Patriots released a statement, said there was a mis miscommunication. It wasn't Newton's fault based on the miscommunication of how they felt the rules were, were being followed and protocols taking place. But just the availability aspect, if you carry Cam Newton as your backup, you have to keep a third quarterback because of the contact tracing element. It's not that he's gonna walk down the street and catch COVID automatically. It's not that he is a nuisance in the locker room or a distraction for Mac Jones. It's the fact that on a Saturday, he could come in contact with someone that has COVID-19 and based on the policy in place, he's automatically, for lack of a better term, banished from your facility, and he's not allowed to be around your team. He couldn't fly. You would have to go sign a quarterback automatically, just based on protocol, even if he doesn't have COVID. Even if he's testing negative, he would have to quarantine. Um, therefore, it's not worth keeping, especially if you only want to keep two quarterbacks on your roster, you can't keep Cam Newton if he's not the starter. All true. Everything you're laying out there, Hutton, all true. I would also ask this question. What is Cam Newton as a backup quarterback? Because I'm not saying that he's some huge attitude problem everywhere he goes or anything like he's that. at least but a little bit annoying. Is he going to be a guy that's going to be a good backup, knowing the backup role, doing the duties of a backup quarterback, being there in support of the starting quarterback? Because from a skill standpoint – He's better than most backups in the NFL. I don't know that you're going to sign him to be the automatic starter anywhere right now across the league, and there are some pretty bad quarterback situations out there. But could he be a more than serviceable backup who could win you some games? Absolutely. I think from a skill standpoint, he could do that. But then that raises the second question, not just from an availability standpoint based on not being vaccinated and based on how the protocols in the NFL are laid out at this time. How would he actually be as a backup quarterback? Is he a good option for a team to bring in? From a play standpoint, I say absolutely. From a mentality standpoint of what he wants to do with his career right now, I don't know. The guy threw eight touchdowns and 10 interceptions last year. 
I mean, and the Patriots re-signed him. Yeah, well, they re-signed him, but look, that now they're pretty eager to get rid of him. So they re-signed him as a stopgap, not as a solution. Well, if he never, if he doesn't miss last week's practices, Mac Jones doesn't get all these reps, and who knows what happens. Well, I'm no conspiracy guy, but the Patriots don't generally miss the fine print on stuff either. And I'm not saying that they set him up to miss a couple of days for Mac Jones to, to get center stage there. No, I don't think they did. I don't, I don't think they did either, but I don't think they minded getting a thorough look at Mac Absolutely Jones not. for those three days either, which obviously helped his It won him the job. It, yeah. wanted, they, they, it was inevitable that the clock was going to start with Mac Jones at some point this season. He's the 15th overall pick. He's a first-round quarterback. It's going to happen with every first-round quarterback this year. The question is when. The Patriots are saying, hey, instead of week three or four or week seven, we're going to go ahead and go all in right now. We're going to go with the rookie quarterback right now, and let's get this started. And when you look at their schedule as things shake out early in the season, Mac Jones should be able to, to help this team quite a bit. What do they have early? Um, Miami, I know. They, they have mean. Miami to start, but it's not, it's not a terrible first half of the schedule uh, with some of this. Uh, when you look at their first five games, they could win three of the first five uh, based on the talent that they have just on paper and versus what I'm thinking. I mean, they've got uh, the Saints. Jets, Saints, Bucks, Texans. That, that's not bad. I mean, Bucks obviously tough. Saints, you don't know what they're going to be. Jets, you know, are the Jets. Texans are terrible. Well, and, and just thinking it through, they, they have Hoyer who they love. I mean, they, they've brought him in and out of that facility multiple uh, times. Multiple times. They, they really like him as the backup option. Um, they like Cam Newton enough to bring him back prior to the draft before knowing that Mac Jones was going to fall to them with the 15th selection in the first round. And the writing was on the wall. Mac Jones was going to be the future, and Belichick and, and the staff there said, we're going to go ahead and start the clock immediately instead of waiting midway through the season to make this change. And they, do, they did Cam Newton a favor, honestly, by not trading him. Um, and it's not the money. The money aspect of what they owed Newton is not that much. Um, by, uh, Newton now can sit back and go and find a spot, a, a landing spot. And I, I can't wait to talk with Armando Salguero about this option because if you're Miami and you actually do pull off this trade for Deshaun Watson and the uncertainty around what Watson is going to be able to give you availability-wise based on everything that's going on off the field with him, and you have to, as a part of the trade, if in fact they do trade Tua as part of the exchange for Deshaun Watson, hypothetically, Cam Newton would make a lot of sense to bring in as your backup option to Watson if Watson's not available because the unknowns with him are aplenty with what he will and will not be able to do based on whatever the NFL decides when the investigation actually gets going again. So, again, all hypotheticals, landing spots for Cam, that's the next list we're going to see out there. Um, but this is a, a, a signal that Mac Jones is not just the future of the New England Patriots, he's the franchise quarterback right now immediately. Well, and let's go back to Cam Newton as a backup and what happens next with him. And I'm going to ask Armando Salguero the same about possibilities of, of a landing spot, not as the starter, but as a backup. What do we always say we want a backup to be able to accomplish? Tread water, go 500. If you have to start four games, go two and two. Is your backup good enough to accomplish that? Stats weren't great last year, and Paul, I know you brought up his, his stats from a year ago. They were 7-8, and eight, the Patriots were in his starts. That's about as good as it's going to get for a backup. If we go Roughly, in yeah. with the assumption that that's a backup quarterback, which Cam Newton is right now in his career, that's pretty damn good for a backup just in wins and losses for any team. I think you take any team across the NFL and say, hey, you're starting quarterbacks out this year, you're basically going to go 500 with your backup quarterback. Would you take that? I think that's a good winning percentage for a backup quarterback. And that's the position he's going to be in. What could he do with the Texans? Well, the Texans are terrible, so I'm not sure he could do anything. It, it, it would seem to me that's a let's gin up some level of excitement and bring in a celebrity to be the quarterback. I don't know if they want to do and that. And also, Hutton, we talked about this yesterday. The Texans are unloading. They're not bringing in. I don't think that they bring in Cam Newton because even if it's bargain basement bringing in Cam Newton, that's more of a loading on than an unloading, right? And they're completely in unload mode right now for Houston. 
So I just don't see how that makes much sense. Uh, coming up, we'll get into some further details uh, with the NFL cuts. We can tell you locally, Mason Kinsey is uh, one of the players that has been waived. Uh, that according to Tom Palacero of NFL Network. Um, so instead of the team just announcing that, we'll get it through the league who leaks it to national sources. Um, when we come back, though, we'll talk college football. And we do that with Bobby Carpenter of Outkick.com, one of the college football contributors. Football is here. College football starts, uh, well, it's already started, but we kick things off Thursday in Knoxville, Tennessee and Bowling Green. Pretty big game on Saturday as well in Charlotte as Clemson takes on Georgia. All that and more straight ahead with Bobby Carpenter of Outkick. Big NFL headlines today, plus college football kicking off this weekend. Welcome back. Outkick 360 across the Outkick network with Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Pleased to be joined by Bobby Carpenter, college football contributor for Outkick.com. Bobby, hope you're doing well, man. Great to have you back on the show. We appreciate this as always. And uh, I know you were tuned in listening to our, our Cam Newton conversation for those just joining us who maybe don't know, Cam Newton released by the New England Patriots today. They're going with Mac Jones as their rookie starter. What are your thoughts on that? And maybe add to the discussion based on what you heard. You know, you guys brought up a lot of very salient points there when you're talking about Cam Newton, what you're asking from your backup quarterback. Can he come in? Can he tread water? Can you go 500? I mean, those things are all very important. The one thing that nobody's really talking about is the number one job of your backup quarterback it's really not to go in there and play because ideally that's not what you want them to do. They need to be a supporter of someone who helps facilitate things for your starter. And the only issue with everything with Cam, and this, this, this honestly, it's not a knock on him about like, you know, something he does. It's just kind of who he is. There are some people in this world that really aren't meant to be a number two. And Cam is such a larger than life figure and he's someone who's such a charismatic leader. He has such a big personality that if your starting quarterback doesn't have that, you can begin to like bifurcate the locker room a little bit and split guys out to where like, you know, they start looking to Cam maybe more than the starter. And that's the only issue that I would potentially see with him going anywhere and potentially being a backup is if you have a quarterback there, he would have to be insanely comfortable in his skin and you would have to know that there will be no struggles. And you would also have to talk to Cam to make sure that he understands that he's not the guy anymore. And so, you know, a lot of the stuff that we love, that we enjoy about him, you know, how big and his bravado is and everything else and the outfits and the dressing and stuff that's all great when you're the man. I don't really know if you can do that and be the backup quarterback of a team that's going to be successful. Prior to the draft, we named two teams and two players that we felt were locks for that organization just structurally. Uh, Najee Harris with Pittsburgh, Chad said was a no-brainer. Based If he's there, take him. And then Mac Jones, at, at half the country, if not more, had Mac Jones to the Patriots if he, if he fell that far, if he fell past San Francisco at three. Do you, did you like Mac Jones in the draft? Did you like him at Alabama? And what does he bring in immediately as a rookie week one starter for the New England Patriots? Well, he's one of the most polished quarterbacks you're going to find. Like He doesn't have insanely great measurables. But there's another guy that they had there who didn't have insanely great measurables either in Tom Brady. Like, can you get through your reads? Can you distribute the ball? They have a fairly complicated offense that puts a lot on the quarterback, making some post-snap reads, understanding where uh, routes are going to break off. And Bill Belichick was going to have as much information on Mac Jones as anybody, given his relationship with Nick Saban. So I thought that that would be a, a place that would be a really good fit for him based upon what they need, where they're at. They have a team that's pretty ready to win. And if you want a young quarterback who you can plug in there, who's going to be mature, who's not a guy that, you know, is going to be out there that's a self-promoter, not that that's a bad thing with Cam, but New England still has that certain culture of what they like to do and how they like to do it. And Mac Jones kind of checked all of those boxes there. And if he was ready to play and they saw enough from him this preseason and they do an insane amount of competitive environment stuff in practice, and they felt confident with it, like this, this shouldn't really come as a surprise because he's looked really, really good in the preseason games. So Bobby, before we preview week one of college football, let's go back to a game that we previewed last week, and that's Nebraska at Illinois. Scott Frost and his struggles at Nebraska. A, are you surprised, uh, especially coming out of the gates with that performance in Champaign? 
And I guess B, on the, the flip side of that, Brett Bielema in game number one, Illinois is not very talented, but that looked like a Brett Bielema team, which is certainly a compliment to him. What do you make of all the noise surrounding Scott Frost and the way Illinois looked in game one? So here's part of the problem. Like they, Nebraska obviously needed to win that game based upon where the two programs were at in their development. You know, Scott Frost is there. This is his fourth season. I understand last year was, you know, very unique. It was difficult, but it was still, it's his fourth season. It's his fourth recruiting class he's brought in there. This is his program. These are his guys. Brett Bielema comes in, you know, obviously unique offseason, first recruiting class. And what he does is he's begun to build culture. And you saw a lot of that old Wisconsin, you know, from you know seven, eight years ago when he was the head coach, kind of pushed through the toughness, the effort, not making mistakes. And that's the problem with Scott Frost. He called it the same old movie after the game. I mean, Scott, like, this is your alma mater. When you were there under Tom Osborne, you guys were tough. You were gritty. You may not have always been the flashiest team running the triple option, but you didn't make mistakes and you didn't beat yourself. And you start talking about some of the decisions of catching punts inside the five, center snapping over the quarterback's head. I mean, Nebraska was in control of that game early on. You know, they weren't really getting it done, you know, obviously in the red zone the way they like to sell them for some field goals. They're, you know, they missed some extra points, but it was just a comedy of errors that they put out there, and that is the biggest problem. They could have lost that game, and if, you know what, there were some bad calls, there was one fluky play or two, okay, you could kind of excuse it away, but you got beat because you got out-executed, and that's, I think, the thing that people in Nebraska, that, that's what they're going to have a hard time trying to wrestle with, is, you know, they don't necessarily need you to go out there and win 12 games this year, or win 10 games, heck, maybe not even win eight, but in the games that you lose, you can't go out there and get embarrassed. And if they play like that, they might not win, you know, a conference game all year. And they'll get smoked by Oklahoma. I was having a conversation with a friend today. If I put the, the line at 41 points, you know, for the Oklahoma game, I mean, would that seem like too much based upon what you've seen thus far? I, I don't honestly think that it would be. Well, and Bobby, let's stay in the Big Ten because it's a huge weekend in the Big Ten. And we'll go next to your alma mater, Ohio State in Minneapolis to take on Minnesota on a Thursday night. I know it's a 14-point spread. Do you see any real danger for Ohio State in this matchup with Minnesota? Well, you know, a lot of these schools that are kind of, you know, mid-tier Power 5, they had a lot of guys come back. They've got a lot of the super seniors because, you know, their draft prospects weren't great. It's like come back, have a normal-ish senior year, and have another year in college. It's kind of penalty-free. Ohio State is a little bit young relative to some of those teams. I think Minnesota is returning you know, 10 guys on offense and essentially 10 guys on defense with a couple of transfers in there. The thing is, though, they're far and away the best team in the Big Ten. The talent gap has begun to widen over the last three years to something that I don't think it's ever been in modern history. And usually it was always a team or two at the top. Now it just being Ohio State, I don't really see how Minnesota is able to keep pace. You know, they have Muhammad Ibrahim, who's a really good running back. They have all five offensive linemen back, but I think Ohio State's D-line will be too much. The linebackers, while inexperienced, should be able to bottle up that run. And then you flip it. Like, how are they planning on stopping Ohio State? This, this secondary was not great last year. They return almost everybody. They can't match up on the edge. Their only hope, I think, is to get pressure and be able to beat up an offensive line. And most people have this offensive line as one of the top two or three in the country. So if you're not able to pressure C.J. Stroud, you're probably not going to be able to slow down the run that to me starts looking like a situation where you're probably scoring touchdowns seemingly every time you get the ball. And Minnesota is really not constructed to, to play in a chase game like that and to be able to have success that way. Wisconsin, Minnesota in the Big Ten. James Franklin and Penn State had a miserable 2020. There were a lot of factors that led into that from injury, from opt-outs, rough start, and it really just snowballed on that program throughout the season. Look at this game, Bobby, and how important it is really for, for both programs, but I, I want to zero in specifically on James Franklin and Penn State. Perspective, you're there in Columbus hosting a show. Is Penn State under James Franklin feared at all in the Big Ten right now? And what do you think about his stronghold on that job and that program going into 2021 after a really difficult 2020? They've been the one team that's really been able consistently to challenge Ohio State, both in recruiting and on the field. And let's not forget, back in 2016, they beat Ohio State. They won the Big Ten. I know that seems like a decade ago away, 
But they've had, you know, guys like Saquon Barkley come through there in elite level players. Like James Franklin is recruited at a really high level. The problem is the last couple of years, you know, Sean Clifford's supposed to be the quarterback that was supposed to be able to get these things done. And he struggled mightily. This game is really going to hinge. And their season, for the most part, is going to hinge on the development of Sean Clifford and how good he is at that quarterback position. They've done a good job always with their defense. They're going to have pretty good skill position players. You know, they recruited pretty well last year after a little bit of a down down period before that. So they have the talent on the team. It's going to be, you know, the toughness. You're going to get up against teams like Wisconsin. You know, they're going to try to pound the football. You have to be efficient. You can't make mistakes. I think they're comfortable with James Franklin right now. He lost a heartbreaker to Michael Penix in Indiana, and it, that thing just kind of spiraled out of control. And it was a 50-50 call. I mean, was he in, was he not? And sometimes those things go like that, and, you know, you just can't get your team back. I think they'll probably be the second or third best team in the East. You know, if Indiana can beat them again, I mean, that, that would obviously tell a lot about what Indiana is. And I don't think they're ready to move on from James Franklin just yet. They would have to probably see two or three years of, you know, ineptitude and really like a backslide in recruiting before they'd move on because they, they still recruit at the top and have a pretty talented roster. And although James Franklin, I don't think he's the best in-game coach, he does a pretty good job managing that program. And he does a really good job recruiting. And I'll take an average coach who's a great recruiter over a great coach who's an average recruiter any day because players win games and all the games except for where talent's equal. And if you can get to that point where you have better players than everybody but Ohio State, you're going to probably win 10 games a year. You touched on Indiana there. What's, what's your gut on if they sustain or build on what they did last year or if that was kind of a one-off? I don't know if it's a one-off. I mean, they had a lot of things working for them. They've got to keep their quarterback, Michael Penix Jr., healthy. If he's healthy, they've got a shot. You know, they played really well down the stretch, even a little bit without him. Tom Allen is a coach who you love. Getting a chance to talk to him, I've done some games with him. He's a phenomenal human, and he's something that guys believe. And you had to have someone like that at Indiana to kind of, you know, reset that culture because they've never been a football school. They've never had sustained success. So you get a little taste of it last year. Now the question is, how do you sustain it? They've got enough players back that should, they should be able to have success. Fry Fogel, one of their wide receivers, really, really good. Tom Allen runs the defense. They've got about you know, half of those guys back, maybe a little more, to be able to have success back there. He has them believing, which is the key. They can't have a massive backslide, or I don't think they'll be able to build this. But I think they're honestly the second-best team in the East. They're right there with Penn State. And if you can beat Michigan as Indiana and give Penn State a heck of a game, and challenge Ohio State kind of the way they did last year, like you're, you're winning. You are above anybody's expectations that they would have for you. So if they can get to eight or nine wins this year, which I don't see as something that's completely outside of the realm of possibility. Now, they do have a tough game with Cincinnati in the non-conference. You kind of throw a wrench in that. If they can get to eight or nine wins, that's something I think that they can really continue to build on because now you have back-to-back years where you've begun to have some success. Bobby Carpenter with us, OutKick.com contributor. Bobby, the uh, the OutKick game of the week, the tailgate tour, one of the first stops will be in Charlotte on Saturday. Evening kickoff for Georgia and Clemson. It's life after Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne at Clemson. Meanwhile, JT Daniels, uh, the, the show and, and, and the season is on his shoulders. Um, it's been a while since a championship season of 1980 in Athens, but... I, I can't help but think what a win over Clemson in week one could do to set up the Georgia season. Is this game as close as what many are predicting? Well, I think it's going to be kind of an indictment on you know Kirby Smart, his ability to get it done. You mentioned 1980, and we were talking about Wisconsin. Uh, Wisconsin and Georgia and me are kind of the same programs. They've been really good in conference and just never been able to get it done. I challenge you for the last 20 years to find a team that's been as consistently good as Georgia, and they just they seem to kind of come up short, but they're always in the conversation. And so now with Kirby Smart, you know, is he going to be able to push through or is he going to become Mark Richt? Because like, that's where we're starting to get to the point of you're getting 10, 11 wins. You're challenging Bama. Maybe you beat him, but can you really ultimately win the, the prize? And so now you're going up against a team that I think you're more talented than Clemson this year. The question will be, JT Daniels, is he going to be good enough? You saw some of that last year where he started to turn the corner at the end of the season. You felt like you were getting somewhere. But if you look back at Georgia under Kirby Smart, you've never really felt like they've had that elite passing game that Bama's been able to develop, 
that Clemson's had, that you saw Ohio State have, some that you definitely see Oklahoma have. And you feel like Kirby's kind of has everything there except for maybe a little bit of that in-game management and then the quarterback play. And so if JT Daniels is his guy and he gets it done this year and they open up with a win, I mean, I think that they're on the road to the national championship. It's amazing what that momentum would be able to do confidence-wise for this team, knowing that they beat a school that you can kind of say has been on par with Alabama the last five years. So if they can open with that, the biggest non-conference win in the country, I think they've got a shot. I like Clemson a little bit more just because I think Davos, when he's done a better job in big games of coaching. But if Kirby Smart proves me wrong, man, I tip the cap, and it may be the year where they finally get over the hump. So a couple of, of real opportunities for the alliance in all caps versus the big bad SEC. One is Miami-Alabama. I don't see any chance Miami has in that game against Alabama. But another one is LSU traveling across the country to take on UCLA. LSU, they, they face Hurricane Ida going right through Baton Rouge. Now they go across the country. Chip Kelly's team looked good against Hawaii in game number one. This could be a big notch in the belt of a non-SEC conference school to beat a big, bad SEC power in week one. What kind of chance do you give UCLA in this game against LSU? Well, LSU number one has a more talented roster. Like, that's, that's hands down. Now, Brian Kelly's done a better job recruiting out at uh, UCLA. But then, I mean, this is a school that's lost to Cincinnati back-to-back years, and UC's a good program. But, like, at home, I mean, come on. You should be able to get that done, teams traveling west to east. Now, Mother Nature has helped them out. LSU, I mean, they've been dealing with a ton down there in the boot right now. So I understand, you know, if they come out and they're a little sluggish, you know, it comes down to the fact, like, how good is the quarterback play going to be for LSU? Much like I talked like, about Georgia, it's the same question. When LSU has a quarterback, you get Joe Burrow, and then all of a sudden, they're great. They can distribute the ball, get it to their playmakers. They're going to play good defense. Like, you know those things are going to happen. And so, you know, can Max Johnson get that done? I played with his dad, Brad. It's amazing watching this kid who I saw when he was about 10 years old running around you know, in Dallas with me. Uh, but he's a very, very talented kid. And if he's got the poise to be able to go on the road, I don't really think UCLA stands a chance. You know, Kip, Chip has his program pointed in the right direction. But LSU will be able to, able to overwhelm them talent-wise. Like that, that's not something where it could really – I could see it maybe shifting the other way. Just LSU is too good at this point. They've got – too many weapons for them and they're, they're really probably too good across the offense and defensive line which is historically where the where the sec has dominated some programs because they're just not equipped with the number of guys that continue to handle wave after wave after wave of d linemen in a big physical front and that's ultimately what's going to happen with miami as well like they've got some decent skill guys but when they go to try to play alabama it reminds me like three years ago when miami was supposed to be pretty good and there was like a top 10 matchup against clemson and then all of a sudden, Clemson went there and boat raced. And it was like 35-3, and it never really felt like much of a game. Like, I don't see Miami having the depth of talent they need to compete with the likes of Bama. Frankly, there's only a handful of teams outside of the SEC that can potentially do it, and one of them's playing Georgia this weekend. Well, and yeah, I want to uh, ask you about Cincinnati, because that, that program's come up twice in our conversation with you today. What do you make of the job that Luke Fickle has done at Cincinnati? What is his next move? as a coach or is it you know he's happy at Cincinnati and is, and is perfectly fine staying there and continuing to get that program into the top 15 top 20 year in and year out and is that even possible well you know I'm a little biased I love Luke he was my linebacker coach at Ohio State you know I, I consider him a good friend and I think he's done a heck of a job I mean he's he's a great football coach he's a tremendous leader he puts great systems in place you know he inherited a lot from you know, Urban Meyer and then uh, Jim Trestle before and does a good job of relating to players and recruiting really well. I think he's very content right now at Cincinnati. He's got a huge family and like people act like these things don't matter. His son's on the team uh, playing offensive line. He's got you know, five other kids, a couple of sets of twins. They're a big Catholic family. They go, you know, to the diocese down there in Cincinnati. Like those things all matter for, you know, the happiness of your family and your wife. I think he would potentially leave to go to Notre Dame should Brian Kelly move on in the next couple of years. I always, I think he would definitely go back and take the Ohio State job should Ryan Day leave. But outside of that, I think he's getting paid pretty well. And depending on how this expansion thing works, if you're going to get a group of five school in every year, like Cincinnati is as well positioned as anybody to be that group of five school. They're in a big metro market. They recruit really well. You know, they seem to have everything being pushed in the right direction. 
And if you can be that team that's always getting in the New Year's, New Year's Day six or maybe eventually an expanded playoff, you can kind of maybe be that that Butler or Gonzaga, I think, where maybe you don't really have a realistic chance of winning a national championship. Maybe you get in there. You're an eight seed. You win a game or two and you make some noise. And the expectations are for you simply just to be able to be a good nine with 10 win team. Like, and you make the playoff, like everybody's going to love you and it'll be a great situation for you. And then you can always wait in, in case Ohio State comes open. Because I ultimately think that's probably the job that he'd like another crack at to be able to have success. Do you think it's harder, like that could be the last program to be like that, given the direction that everything's going? It seems like, um, you know, with the SEC assuming so much power, with the alliance now making scheduling harder, I, I would guess it's harder and harder to take a Cincinnati and make it into something. It's tough because you're going to have to be in a, in a location where you have a, a pretty solid recruiting base. And Cincinnati does a good job of pulling from the tri-state of Kentucky, Ohio, and Indiana. They do a good job in Indianapolis, I, I believe, as well. You know, there's other schools that could potentially do that. You saw South Florida have success, Central Florida. Like, there's an immense amount of talent in those areas. And if you get the right coach that can find the right diamonds in the rough, you develop them really well. You get the right quarterback every you know two or three years. You can begin to make those runs. But it's going to be really tough for teams to be able to succeed because I, I think the alliance we talked about, that's kind of the shell. They're just going to plug the SEC in there with it. And that will eventually, I think, be the new governing body when they plan this playoff expansion and whatever year that's going to be. And the NCAA will probably have you know little governance over it. You know, but it needs to be a school in a rich recruiting area in a big market that you can maybe offer some kids that maybe didn't get that look at an elite school. And instead of maybe going to, you know, a mid-tier, lower power five, hey, I'm going to go here and be a, be a stud. And I get to live in like a big city and get to have some options. Bobby, my sneaky game of the week is in the ACC. It's going to kick at 5 o'clock Central Time Friday night. North Carolina at Virginia Tech. You want to talk about job well done. Mac Brown at North Carolina, when you really start to look into that program and see their profile, see the amount of talent in the state of North Carolina, good academic university, beautiful campus, it was a matter of time before they got it right and could really start competing. And Mac Brown has done that at North Carolina, but a really tricky road trip to open the season on a Friday night at Virginia Tech. What do you think of that game? First of all, I took my first college visit uh, to Chapel Hill. I was ready to commit like within three hours. It's an unbelievable campus. Like they've got the sweet colors. You've got all the Jordan stuff, Michael Jordan involved. You know, the, the facilities yep. are beautiful. I mean, the campus is awesome. You know, academics were something that was important to me and my family. And so I checked all the boxes. It was fantastic. And all I kept thinking about over the last 20 years is how the heck has North Carolina not been better? They have everything that you want as a program. And it finally took Mac Brown returning to be able to kind of wake up and to be able to recruit to those things again, because you've got a great product to sell to these guys. And you saw last year, you know, Sam Howell was terrific. They had elite running backs, elite wide receivers. The only problem is those guys are gone. So a lot of that's going to be on Sam to carry this team into Blacksburg, which is an incredibly tough place to play. Um, it, it's going to be an electric environment. You know that it's a Friday night. You sit here, you're going to have Justin Fuente, who's kind of battling for his job at Virginia Tech. I, I don't know necessarily you know, how happy they've been with how he's done there. And you know, they're a team that's used to winning and start getting further and further away from Frank Beamer. And this was a team that you know, was playing for national championships now you know, t 15, 20 years ago and in that mix. And so they're going to try to push back into it. I think it's a good game. I would be surprised if Carolina doesn't win it, given the fact that they have a veteran quarterback, a guy who many people are talking about is a first-round NFL guy. And so you have that experience. You have that talent there. He should be able to calm that offense and what's going to be a difficult road environment. If they can do that, you don't necessarily have to win the game by 21, but if you can get out of there with a 7-10 to point victory opening night, Friday night, like you'll feel good about that. Bobby Carpenter with us, Outkick contributor for college football, also host of Morning Juice on 97.1 The Fan in Columbus. Uh, there in Ohio, how much did you know much uh, about uh, Bishop Sycamore, Bobby? <laughs> oh, gosh, that's amazing. Because that's in Columbus, by the way, which is where I, where I reside. You going to send your kids? First, yeah, exactly. First <laughs> of all, here's the irony of that. Like, you know, I'm not Catholic. My wife's half Catholic. We send our kids you know, to Catholic school last year during the pandemic because they were in school all five days. And, you know, when you talk about these schools, like 
you know, to be canonized, you have to have been a person. And so like you have like St. Francis de Sales, like in Watterson, St. Ed's and all these different, you know, people like you can't really canonize a tree like St. Sycam, like Bishop Sycamore. <laughs> what the heck is that? And this should have probably been the first red flag that everybody had. And then also I, I've had people, we were talking about this on my morning radio show in Columbus. I've got you know, my neighbors started texting me. Like, yeah, I saw these guys practicing at some of our junior high fields on Saturday morning and this and that. I'm like, Seriously, like, oh yeah, they have the same uniforms on there wearing in the game. I caught a little bit of it. And it's, the night before. It is, the night before. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's unbelievable to think that this is where we are in 2021 and you could fabricate all this stuff. And then ESPN went with it and put it on. Like they had to have some idea leading into that week. Then I know Tom Luganville, who does a great job. Like he definitely probably smelled a rat and they were just probably so invested in like, I don't know what you could do, you know, four or five days out if you realize that it's you know, really not a school. It's like, hey, do they have a team? Are they going to play? Can we put it on air? Okay, I guess, I guess we'll just kind of roll with it. But, I mean, they played IMG last year. You know, they're supposed to have more games here the rest of the season. They played Akron-Hoban, which is a big, you know, big school, which is also, I believe, a Catholic school. So you would think the diocese would have some sort of conversation, like who you tied in with here. Like it, it, it is unbelievable that this will eventually probably end up being like a 30 for 30 yes. that was aired on ESPN by ESPN. So they'll be able to fully <laughs> complete the content loop and make their own stuff. No, I, mean, I completely agree. And, and I was driving home from the show yesterday. We had a big discussion about this yesterday. As everybody did. I'm sure you did too. And this morning, but not only was ESPN fooled, IMG Academy was fooled into playing them. Like I, uh, that that went way over my head yesterday, and I was driving home thinking, this is a this is a, a, a football program that will fly across the country and play literally anybody. They don't want to fly across the country and win fifty to nothing. At least I don't I don't think they do. And fifty eight nothing, whatever it might be, they they want more of a challenge than that. They can find that in their home state. To, to me, it was bizarre that that. Bishop Sycamore has fooled everyone, not just a TV network that picked up their game, but even a team that's willing to schedule them out of state. I mean, it's the great ruse. It's like the emperor has no clothes. Like, I, I don't know in 2021 with all the documents and everything that's going on, how you could possibly fabricate this. And they're not the only team that they played. I mean, they've been doing this. There was a guy who I know who, uh, I, who reached out to me on social media. He coached in the, de the co same conference that my dad coached in. It's like, I left the school I was at I was there last year and after three games, like we weren't getting paid. I wasn't really sure who these kids were, if they went to class. He's like, so me and two of the other coaches quit. Like this has been going on now for, for not just this year, but multiple years that they've been tricking people and fooling these schools. And I would have to think that at some point in time in 2021, you would need some sort of documentation, the ease that we can PDF stuff and just stand and send it to people all over the place. That it's not like it's carried by the Pony Express or a passenger pigeon, for heaven's sake. I, I don't understand how this could, could possibly have occurred. Some of these guys are like 20 years old, man. They've been in a Juco before. <laughs> Bobby, we, stick. we've really covered it all here, which I love, and we hope to have you on weekly as the season goes on. But next week, I really want to get into you. This is a tease. Next week, I want to get into your high school swimming career. That's, that's, that's next week's topic, if that's okay with you. Oh, that's great. This the super long tease. My mom, my mom will really appreciate that. She was my longtime <laughs> swim coach. So, if you guys want to dive in on that, I could probably get you some uh, some imaging there. We can get some shots of me in a speedo when I'm 18, if you want. Perfect. That'll that's really exactly what Chad wants. Sex sells. Now Sex you, sells, Bobby, on this show. We'll do Chad it. Chad has teased the topic, and now you've teased Chad, Bobby. That's a <laughs> and, all of, and all of our female viewers out there, they're all properly teased right now yeah. with that image. Ratings are shooting up. Hey, Thanks, Bobby. Appreciate it, man. Always great. My pleasure, gentlemen. Bobby Carpenter has been our guest. You can read his uh, contributions to the site, outkick.com. Paul, your first visit there with Bobby Carpenter. Yeah, it's terrific. He's awesome. And uh, we, we do hope this will be a, a weekly visit with him as we preview college football. And we had a number of games there. Uh, it sucks that the marquee programs, Chad, that you brought up, I'm completely with you. Like, when I think of Alabama-Miami, I'm not thinking blowout, but that's what's going to happen. When I think of LSU-UCLA, I'm not thinking blowout, but that's likely what's about bound to happen. And then Clemson, Georgia, on paper, looks really good. But I, I hope that that game can live up to the expectations. I, I think it's going to be a good unknown. game. But, uh, yeah, Georgia's in a bad spot going into that game with some guys that are out. 
uh, heading that game against Clemson. But I, I think that'll be a good one. The other one, Florida State. That we didn't even ask about Florida State Notre Dame. Yeah, uh, the rekindling yeah. of Catholics versus convicts game from back in the day, and that's probably going to be a blowout in Notre Dame's favor. Coming up, uh, we get into some league-wide headlines across the NFL with teams making cuts. Uh, one of the top draft picks in Nashville uh, just cut by the Tennessee Titans. Paul broke that news during that segment. We'll tell you about that and more. First, let me tell you about Aurora Nutriscience and the grab-and-go packs that you can get vitamin-wise at vitalifescience.com. Grab-and-go vitamin C. I use the glutathione, the, the vitamin D3, and much, much more. Aurora delivers your supplements where you need them the most, your body. You're seeing vitalifescience.com right now, V-I-D-A lifescience.com. This is where you can go to see more information, and our Outkick 360 season ticket holders receive a 15% discount with the code OUTKICK360. Typical pills and capsules are not well absorbed, and you're not seeing any pills or capsules right now through Aurora. You're not going to find them there. Uh, most are only absorbed in small, very small amounts. Your digestive system breaks down these pills if there's little left for you to benefit from. But here's Aurora, unique cutting-edge nutritional and absorbable supplements encapsulated in liposomes that ensure greater absorption in the body's bloodstream. Again, I use the vitamin C, the vitamin D3, glutathione, simple single-use package. You grab and go in the morning, you're good for the day. And Aurora supplements will also help if you're a weekend warrior, if you take medication for high cholesterol, if you just want the endless benefits of so many vitamins and supplements, Aurora can hook you up with that. Visit vitalifescience.com for more information. 15% off with the code OUTKICK360, vitalifescience.com. Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network. Uh, big thanks to Bobby Carpenter for joining us. He'll be back with us next week. Sony and Hertz Odyssey, the giveaway is later today. There's still time to go subscribe to the YouTube channel right now. Just search Outkick 360, hit the subscription button, subscribe to the channel, uh, hit the alert button so you know we go live each and every day at 3 o'clock Eastern, 2 o'clock Central Time across the Outkick Network. And by doing so, you're automatically entered to win the Sony and Hertz Odyssey prize pack. That's the Sony AX3000 car stereo with Apple CarPlay. Hertz Odyssey will be giving you the 520-watt amp, the 400-watt powered subbox, and the speaker system that comes with it. It's over a $2,500 value, and later this afternoon, we'll be drawing a winner from the subscription base, Outkick360 on YouTube. One lucky winner, one lucky subscriber, takes home the Sony and Hertz Odyssey giveaway. Big. Yeah, cannot wait to have that drawing. Reed's got that prepared for us. Uh, looking forward to that a bit later in the show. Coming up in about an hour and 15 minutes or so, we have the Tennessee Power Hour. Uh, we'll get into the Titans' finalized roster and much more. Uh, about 25 minutes from now, Armando Salguero will join us. NFL headlines, including Cam Newton, who was released today by the New England Patriots. They're going with rookie Mac Jones to start week one against the Miami Dolphins. What's going to happen with Deshaun Watson and all the trade rumors surrounding him and Miami and Tua Tagovailoa? We'll get into that with Armando as well. That's coming up at 3.15 Eastern. Uh, take that back, 3.15 Central, 4.15 Eastern. Uh, that's just around the corner. Some NFL headlines to begin though, Paul, as we just go through some of the, the cuts that have already been made. Uh, I saw where Carl Joseph, the, the veteran safety, has been released by the Raiders. He's a former first-round pick by the Vegas Raiders. Um, Haha Clinton Dix was also released. He's available. And the Titans, they have waived their fourth-round selection, Des Fitzpatrick. You, you reported that about 20 minutes ago. Yeah, Titans traded up, gave up two picks to get up to 17 spots in the fourth round to draft Des Fitzpatrick. They went from pick 126, moved up to pick 109 in the fourth to, to draft him. Yeah, and I think most people thought that he had bounced back enough. He was really bad early in camp. Uh, bounced back enough to, to, to stick. He did not. Uh, reported, like you said, about 20 minutes ago, I had that he is being cut and that Tommy Hudson is sticking on the initial 53, a tight end. Um, so uh, there, there are two more moves. Their list is coming soon. Uh, thing about Fitzpatrick, I don't know. We talked about this. I don't know on the power hour if he's shown the toughness that they want. He has come on somewhat. He caught a good, I think it was a 28-yard kind of streak pass 
uh, but they also dropped a touchdown in their final preseason game. And they've had a lot of wide receivers come on. T Tennessee is not a traditionally good wide receiver team. This is the best they've been at wide receiver in a long time. Obviously at the top with A.J. Brown and Julio Jones, Josh Reynolds, who they have uh, a lot of hopes for, but who's been hurt and has not shown a lot. Marcus Johnson now hurt, Chester Rogers. These are guys that none of us were expecting anything out of who've had fantastic camps all pushing back. Mason Kinsey's also been cut, a report's out. Now Des Fitzpatrick, bottom end things to sort out. And the Titans are a team, um, and now the Colts are joining that, where the full cuts aren't going to really come to light today because the Titans have nine guys on their COVID list. Yep. So they're going to get down to 53 today, but it's 53 plus nine. And then as each of those nine come back, another guy's going to get cut and another did, guy's well, going to get did cut. Did they not trade up to get Des Fitzpatrick? Yeah, well, I just mentioned they, they traded up from 126 two to 109. And they gave up then, two then, picks. Then help me explain how – It's a bad pick. How you can decide a guy's not tough enough, but you can decide in all of that time to research a player that he's worthy well, to he's trade up to get. Been, he's also not been good enough. It's not just the toughness. I, I think, Chad – my point is like the, the homework yeah. that has to be done and then the – you don't have that much time with a player who's a fourth-round pick that it's bad enough that you cut the guy who's a fourth-round pick, yet you felt so certain about him that you traded up to get him in a position of need in the fourth round. It's another miss. I want to give credit to King Harris here, uh, and Chad, you should take heart with this. He said, okay. guys, look at the big picture. Yes, we may have wasted a fourth-round pick. This is a Titans fan. <laughs> but last year we wasted a first-round pick. <laughs> this is progress, he says, referring to Isaiah Wilson, who played four snaps as a rookie, got traded and busted out of Miami in no time for an upgraded seventh-round pick. I mean, it's a dud. I think he clears waivers easily. There are a lot of wide receivers hitting, uh, hitting the waiver wire and being released. And then I, I, if they don't put him on their practice squad, now that would be a massive indictment. I can't imagine they well, wouldn't have him on their practice squad. I was going to save this Mason for Mason Kinsey, too. I'll, I'll save my thoughts on this for the power hour. Okay, um, we'll get back. It is it. hard not to read into this. Uh, making the decision today, given the fact that they, they had nine cushion. extra spots uh, because of the COVID-19 list. I mean, to, to say that they think he'll clear waivers, I mean, they're not even worried if he does or he doesn't no, by they're, releasing they're him right saying now. We're, they say we're, we don't care if someone else claims him. Yeah. He's not good enough in. to be on this roster. Even with the elbow room we have, you're right. Yeah. We'll get back, more back into oh, it Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot to dissect there. And with some other moves, uh, Mason Kinsey also... Uh, waived. Now, he's not going to get claimed. Kinsey. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, that's one that he's a perfect practice squad player for this team. Yeah, he's a perfect preseason player. Right. He's a good, crafty player who's a little bit slow and a little bit small. Paul, your line that the, uh, the viewer said about at least it wasn't a first-round <laughs> pick this go-around reminds me of, of a great quote from Michael Bauman that I tweeted out from his piece at The Ringer about the Mets and their fans. <laughs> and the quote is, Unceasing positivity and defiance of fact isn't love or support, it's Stockholm Syndrome. And I will say that any Titans fan that defends, and we'll get back to this in the power hour later, I know, that defends the drafting of Des Fitzpatrick, it's Stockholm Syndrome, to quote Michael Bauman. There, there that is what there. you are experiencing There right are now. some in response to my tweet about the move doing that. Oh, come on, you know. You can't hit them all. Well, when you don't hit a fourth-round pick, you find out about it in his second or third year is the course of events, right? You don't find out about it a month into him hitting the field for you. That's not how it's supposed to work. Not at all. You eventually pay the piper. I don't think it's going to happen this season, but you eventually pay the piper pay for up. Isaiah Wilson and for Des Fitzpatrick's happening. Coming up, we will get into a couple of other draft picks making some big headlines today. Mac Jones, we touched on Cam Newton. Is Mac Jones ready to take over as the starter of the New England Patriots? We'll discuss that. There's another top five pick who's not ready to start right now. We'll tell you who that is. And we'll also tell you about a trade that Minnesota just made because of an injury on their roster. That's all straight ahead on Outkick 360. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to Outkick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.